welcome back to the Brush Builders Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brush Builders Union, Simon Berman. And this month I am speaking to possibly the hardest working man in miniatures wargaming, Sean Sutter, creator of Relic Blade. Sean, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a while. You know, um, I think we we actually met at LVO a couple years ago. Uh, we, were, we were at booths next to each other, and uh, I was still kind of doing my old podcast for Plan of Attack, and I wanted to talk to you then, but that kind of didn't work out. So I'm, I'm really excited to speak to you about Relic Blade, and especially now that I've played a whole bunch of it, and uh, well, at least some of it, and uh, you got all this cool stuff going on. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm glad we got this together. By way of introductions, you know, Relic Blade is a uh, little miniature skirmish game. It's been out for several years now, hasn't it? Yeah, I started doing it in 2015, so like the first two-player set came out in 2016, mm-hmm. in June. So I guess it's been like three years of full release. Yeah, that's great. I think one of the things I think is really cool about Relic Blade and you know your your company, Metal King Studios, is that you're you're basically a one-man operation, which is almost unheard of these days in miniatures gaming. Yeah, probably with good reason, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I mean, you, you you do almost everything except basically casting the miniatures and maybe printing the books. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I I get help with a few things when I can, but yeah, I sure. do all the sculpture, illustration, game design. Uh, these days, I started doing the book layout, and um, I do send the mold. I have the three D printing and mold making and casting that I contract that stuff out. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're 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 really kind of a um, real renaissance man when it comes to I don't I don't know anybody who does everything like that. How how did you kind of get into all those various avenues? I guess I've always been interested in a lot of things, and so it's sort of fun for me to be able to switch gears and do other things. Uh, you know, if I get burnt out on drawing, I can switch to writing or sculpting, and then that cycle uh, makes sure that I stay motivated and and fresh. Yeah, it's so it's really like um, maybe a little bit like using an ADD type of compulsion to do all kinds of different things or getting bored easily. Sure. I'm, I'm able to keep myself entertained by switching gears. No, that, make, that makes total sense. Um, so, you know, actually, before we get too far into like, you know, how you do everything, can you, why don't you give us a little bit of, you know, an overview of what Relic Blade is better than the, uh, the few sentences I stumbled out? Oh, yeah, sure. So it's like heroic combat. Uh, it's a tactical skirmish game where you um, command a party of adventurers. So rather than having an army or, um, or even really a war band, you just have four to six characters that are going on these dangerous quests and... Um, so it's head to head. So you go up against a friend, but the it's scenario driven and uh, campaign based. So you have character advancement and rare treasures and things like that. Um, but everywhere you go, fate has set a rival party of adventures against you. And uh, there are a few fun elements like uh, there are two main path alignments, good and evil. And so mm-hmm. you can create a a party of adventurers within that alignment. So even though there are factions, I kind of would describe it like Lord of the Rings, how um, the fellowship of the ring is made up of adventurers and heroes from factions that wouldn't normally interact like a Mirkwood elf and a dwarf and a file of Gondor, you know, these guys on their own wouldn't necessarily interact, but because of fate, you get this really cool band of dis- disparate band of adventurers. So it's kind of like that where 
Um, just in the same way you can have a group of evil guys, a, a dark sorcerer, and he's allied with these horrible shark mutants and things like that. I so, do like the shark mutants. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and then like technical specs, it takes about a half hour to play a game, four to six models per side. Uh, it's very intuitive, uh, fast paced gameplay, but lots of tactical nuance because you end up having to make hard choices about how you will activate to get the most out of your characters. So it's fun. I tried to write it so it'd be fun and fast and uh, and really capture the feel of like a deadly D&D encounter rather than a big field battle where everyone's agreed to show up and battle. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've really succeeded. I, it's 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 one of my favorite skirmish games of the last few years. Um, you know, I've only I think I've only played three games so far, but we're, we're getting ready to launch a campaign at my gaming club next week. and I'm, I'm pretty stoked for it. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, I think one of the things I find really appealing is, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, you and your opponent are both playing D&D adventuring parties who are both on, you know, maybe they're on the same quest or their quests have, you know, put them in each other's way. And, you know, it, it's like a little bit of like D&D PVP almost in that that kind of feel. I think it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, anyway, and like you said, you know, the, the, the gameplay itself really hits a sweet spot for me where, you know, it's 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 a low model count and there's enough complexity to keep it interesting, but not be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always... Because I, I mean, my, I love miniature games, but like big armies kind of, it, it gets a little bit much for me to grasp, but I'm sure. happy to do tactical nuance. And so with this, I wanted to have each character have enough nuance that they'd really be the same or really more choice than you'd get with a full unit of characters in, a, say, Warhammer. So uh, like an economy of of tactical fun but giving you lots and lots of choice and and dnd really helped set that in into my mind because i i'm more of a war gamer than a role player but i was mm-hmm. playing dnd and you get so many there's so much nuance to how you can use your character that i really wanted to bring some of that in without weighing it down with like having to look up how you grapple or look up what happens when you get uh knocked down prone you know i didn't want people flipping through their rule book i wanted to keep it fast um but but i wanted you to have lots of control so with the action dice you're able to spend one die at a time to perform actions and that way you can move here or disengage and then charge over here to do a thing or uh you know, heal that guy but you'll focus on that action so it's more likely to succeed and so you end up getting a lot of fun uh, gamer brain, like tactical hard choices with weighed down in like, well, this unit has these stats and I gave them these magic weapons. And so then I need to make sure they're positioned at a 48 degree angle against that unit of skeletons. And so I don't know, it's a different type of tactical. It's more, um, uh, what's the word? Like, Right in the moment you have to make quick Mm -hmm. choices. It's, it's not a game of like planning far in advance. Yeah, I mean, and one of the things I liked about it is, you know, you have this sort of um, when you, when you're creating your your war band. I don't I don't know if that's the, the proper term for a war band in, in Relic Blade, but um, you know, you you have to you buy some equipment for them as well, and which is it seems to be like play like two or three pieces on average for an average size hundred point game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, you know, the the impression I got was almost that like, you know, each of your each of your models has a little, maybe one or two pieces of equipment and then a handful of abilities. But when you kind of see them all together, it almost feels like you've made, you know, a character sheet for like a D8, you know, 
it's almost as if the whole group of models is a single character sheet for a D&D game, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like you've got all those guys on the table, but they all have their different abilities. And I think I'm explaining this badly, but uh, <laughs> or explain my idea of it badly. But, you know, you, when you look at your roster, it's like having a single D&D character sheet. and You have all these different options for you of it to available to, you know, try and win your win your match. But none yeah. of them individually are overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good way of describing it. And also the fun of of controlling a whole party. I oh yeah, that was a neat thing because with D and D, as much as I enjoy it, um, sometimes you have to wait a half hour before you swing your axe and miss. Sure, uh, and then and then you're like, well, okay. Uh, but with this, you got to like really control the like tank, DPS, healer, or like support class, and and you get you don't have to convince your friend to do what you think is the right tactical decision. Sure. You're just in control of the fun dynamism of like a D and D party trying to battle their way through something deadly. Yeah. I, I also really like that the game plays on a two foot by two foot space. Uh, that That's just very appealing to me, especially because, you know, it's, I think it encourages people to, you know, really make nice little terrain sets to play on. Cause you, you don't need to make, you know, a huge four by four, four by six board worth of terrain to have your game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the type of encounters that happen really, our D scale in that way so mm-hmm. depending on the fight it could just all happen in a corridor of a dungeon like you don't really yeah a two by two maybe is even bigger than you need depending on the scenario but yeah i i like that i felt like it was good because with uh miniature war games sometimes i mean like you have to build a custom table and have a room in your house for war gaming um so making it small like a three by three is good but a two by two really even fits on a crappy little folding table. Yeah, you can play that game anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's, it's not hard to pack enough terrain to have a good looking board at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's true. No, it's cool. You know, I think we've we've got about ten or eleven people in in my club who are getting ready to start our our Vault Lands campaign next week. Um, and uh, you know, we should be able to ha- be, probably be having five or six games going at one time, so nobody will be really waiting around for a, a table to free up for their match, which is great. Yeah, yeah, I like but, that. Uh, yeah, now that we've talked a little bit, I guess just people have an understanding of what the game is about. Um, you know, I'd love to know how how did you initially kind of develop the ideas that became the Relic Blade factions and characters and, and all of that? You know, was there a mix of ideas you had or was or did you have a very singular vision for it at the beginning? I guess um, there are a couple things I'd say about that. One is I, I really benefit from drawing on the genre you know, uh, fantasy, heroic fantasy. Yeah. I've been a a big fan of fantasy all along. So I, but, but none of them like are exactly the flavor I want. Like world of Warcraft is a little too cartoony, but Lord of the Rings is a little too gritty and realistic for my taste. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, D and D or magic are maybe a little bit too future, like Renaissance or even, even Warhammer fantasy as, as much as I love it. You know, the Renaissance stuff is less my, uh, like, favorite sweet spot. So yeah. I, I try to um, take take things that I love from other fantasy genre and, and twist it just enough that it's um, different. But also mm-hmm. people can really enter the world easily, understanding, like, with the the context of like what a questing knight is or what a cleric is and stuff so um, that's been really useful for me or fun for me and then taking uh races or factions that i like like obviously you'd want orcs you know Mm -hmm. Um, but from early on years ago i was drawing these like pigmen 
Um, and pig-faced orcs aren't anything new, but and neither sure. are pigmen. But just the way I, I get to draw them and stuff, it's fresh enough, but recognizable enough that I think it's a good blend of classic fantasy, but with like a very slight Sean Sutter flavor. No, I mean, I think one of the things that's really appealing about Rogue Blade in general is it, it has a very unique um, character to it. You know, there's it's, it's a little cartoony, a little st- in like stylized in, in the best way possible, right? Where it's not just another orc or another, you know, human ranger. Like it's, it's got a real... Um, stylistic flair to it that's, that's very uniquely yours and i think that's that's that really comes through in all the sculpts and has been coming through more and more um as you've gone on you know i, I just got the the Maldorf expedition dwarves which are from your your most recent kickstarter mm-hmm. and they're maybe my favorite dwarves i've ever seen sculpted yeah that's awesome yeah they're they're funny they're like i don't know like the flavor of them is is not the same as a warhammer dwarf and but also not the same as uh yeah, I don't know. I th- I, th- I agree. They're stylized. They're maybe more stylized than any of the other factions I've made, mm-hmm. like with the big forearms and giant hands and and stuff. But they yeah, also just... are a little bit different than your what you'd expect. Like there are no axes, for example. Right. Or hammers. Weird. Yeah, true. You've got you've got kind of a a, a billman. He's got like kind of a, a halberd and a, an assassin dwarf and a wizard dwarf. Yeah. Yeah, three. No. <laughs> the classic dwarf yeah. character classes, rogue. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah and it's the, fun. They were... I like I like them, and I like the, um, I like that they're a little bit unexpected rather than just being like a, a long beard with a big two handed hammer. No, they're great, and they they were a blast to paint too. I I had a really good time painting them. But you know, there's just so many weird touches on my life. Like you know, you've got the your um your uh, what is what is the uh, the, is it the guardsman dwarf? Is yeah, that his the name? Hearth guard. Yeah, the hearth guard. Yeah, he. I, I love that. You know, he's got the big um, shield, but you know, it's got a heraldic salmon on it, or two heraldic <laughs> yeah, salmon. Yeah, uh, it's just a, it's it's a weird choice. You know, if, I think for for dwarf stuff in general, but it's 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 great and it feels really it really puts you in the world, right? Because I mean, in the real world, salmon are heraldic devices, right? Yeah, they were exactly. they were used quite a bit, but it's it's a it's an unexpected choice for a dwarf miniature, and I thought that was just great. Yeah, I I. Um when I was doing the concept art, I was just like doodling and uh-huh. I threw a fish on the shield as like a, a joke to myself. Cause I was like, ha ah, fish, that's a really silly <laughs> put on a shield. And then I ended up sculpting it just like kind of as a joke for myself. Yeah. To, like as a placeholder. And then I was like, Sean, you're in charge here. You can just put salmon on this guy's shield. And if someone <laughs> hates it, they can grind it off with a file. Sure. <laughs> So it it's fun. No, I, I I like that too. Just coming from you know Seattle, it's a very Pacific Northwest thing too. So I, I painted them up like you know Chinook salmon with the red body and the green head and all that. Yeah, so perfect. It was a lot of fun. I love it. Um, but I mean, all the stuff you're doing is 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 very cool, very characterful. Um, and you know, I was wondering what what kind of got you started doing relic. What what made you sit down and go, I'm going to make my, an entire miniatures game basically on my own in the first place? How'd you get there? Um, that's a that's a strong decision. Yeah. So. I got, or I, I guess, depends on how far back you want to go. But like, I've I've got into miniatures when I was like thirteen. I was really into like toys before that. I wanted to be a toy maker, and then started making, uh, building Warhammer kits and having fun with that. But um, I kind of 
saw Merck's minis. Those guys were just sort of a small team making a miniature game, and that blew my mind. And so I thought, like, whoa, I could be part of a small team, and we could just make figures. That would be wild. Um, And that was probably in, like, 2010. But then I started sculpting some figures, and I wrote some rules, and the rules were okay. Well, they were bad. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been interesting to anyone. Sure, you know, um, but they had some of the elements that Relic Blade has, and the figures were bad, and and that and the illustrations were bad. And I, I think when I looked at my work as an art director instead of just as the artist, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I wouldn't pay someone to make this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's yeah. well, I went back to school. Uh, and I got my degree in fine art and I got a little bit better at drawing. Well, a lot better, but still not quite good enough necessarily. Um, and I started working freelance doing comics and doing, you know, graphic design and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also doing fine art, doing landscape paintings and, and exhibiting in galleries and oh, all of cool. that like fine art and and freelance lifestyle is such a hustle. Oh yeah. It occurred to me that I could be hustling and be taking whatever job someone thinks they're willing to throw to me or I could be hustling and do only what I want. Yeah. You know. And so I took kind of more of a hard look at my studio and my interests and was like, well, here's my two bookshelves of comic books. Like I like comic books. I draw comic books. I was drawing comic books at the time, but then like the rest of my house was miniatures. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, if I'm like 90% into miniatures and 10% into comics, um, I thought I'd just change gears and start doing that. So then I, uh, started teaching myself ZBrush to sculpt, had some fun doing that. I did some uh, fantasy sculpts, which ended up becoming the Relic Blade figures um, for the first release. And they, it just sort of fell in place where I had, I'd been like pining after a miniature game that was a D&D party versus yeah. the D&D party. And like, just like craving to play that game. And then sure. after sculpting a D&D party and a party of pig orcs, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the enough figures for the game that I've been dreaming about. And so I sat down and like wrote it. And as I, as I saw issues with the rules, I thought hard about it and, and came up with solutions. And, and I ended up coming up with, I think a pretty good game. And then just continuing to pour all of my energy into illustrations that, grow the world and uh rules and just having so much fun doing only what i want and none of the like web design templates i was designing before for sure uh, you know a couple bucks freelance um and then with kickstarter i was able to uh grow kind of a fan base or like a supporter base that's been really awesome so i don't know how long this beautiful dream will last but so far it's continued to grow year after year and uh turn into more than a full-time job for me no that's 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 amazing you really are kind of living the dream on this right now aren't you yeah i am 
it seems to me you, you, you've really built a really wonderful community around Relic Blade too. You know, your, your players are, your and your, you know, I want to say customers, but really they're your gamers are, um, you know, they're, they're super loyal. They're really enthusiastic. I see almost nobody complaining, um, you know, and, and just the, the, you know, you, 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 I guess you recently shipped the big uh, Vaultlands Muldorf Expedition Kickstarter. And, you know, just the excitement people have had about getting their stuff in the, the Relic Blade Battle Friends Facebook group yeah. has just been, you know, it's been, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, it has. It's been really fun. I think one thing that is exciting for me is I, I can kind of expect a spike after a Kickstarter on the Facebook yeah. group. But the Facebook group has been like consistently posting and active and excited all like all year. So like it's been, um, that community has been so awesome. Um, people asking and answering rules questions and sharing awesome paint jobs and being excited. So uh, that's a major blessing or a major asset to, to Relic Blade, you know, to be able to talk about the game with other people that are way into it and see cool, inspiring work. No, the, the enthusiasm is really, really wonderful. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I think it comes from the top down too, because I mean, you, you do some really great little extras, like you were you were putting original sketches in every book from the Kickstarter, which I'm I'm sure your hand is aching from that currently. <laughs> but uh, that's such a that's such a great thing to do. It's so I think it really you know makes people feel like they're you know part of the game. Yeah, it it's really more than is reasonable for me to do. Yeah, but, I'm, but like each person, you know, even if I was like ah whatever this this backer, you know, they just backed low and they didn't add any extras and they didn't send me a, a note or anything, but I'm just so genuinely grateful for yeah. their support that I'm like, well, I'm, I want to, <laughs> sure. but if I want to inscribe in their book and do a sketch of a night, like you can't stop me. I had to make sure I didn't tell my wife I was going to do that. Cause she would have started. <laughs> yeah. And I think you do that with a lot of orders too. Like I, I, I ordered the, uh, the ogre ready Arius last week and you, you sent a cool ogre sketch in there with, with that for yeah. me which was cool he's it's going on my fridge yeah it's one i mean i think i reflected on like what my business is and i'm i'm sort of struggling with a do i do i grow my business and start really doing more wholesale so that you can get relic blade in stores and get relic blade on Amazon or whatever, but like really take a serious hit to, you know, how much money I make. Yeah. Uh, and then, but it's all, it's still like everything's hand packed and hand sorted and hand mm -hmm. and every, and I do it all. So when I spend ages like sorting the cards and packing them and labeling them and sealing them, it's tough to be like, all right, now I'm going to send that away at a 50 or 60% discount. Yeah. Sure. So, um, realizing that I'm making a boutique product and you don't normally get the chance to buy a game from the creator, you know, like, I'm, I mean, I don't know how sweet would it be to buy a Warhammer book and have it signed by Gallagher or uh, Carl Kapinski, yeah. something like that, where they're like, yeah, well, of course I, I did the art in here. Here, let me do a sketch. So sure. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I just feel like I'm in a unique position to remind people that they're supporting an independent artist and that they're actually getting it from me. Yeah, that's really that's really cool and commendable. Um, you know, I just think the amount of work you put into this is just crazy. I mean, you were, you were posting some truly astonishing number about how many like model parts you had to sort to uh, to ship the Kickstarter a few oh, yeah, weeks ago. That was crazy, and and like I did a had to do a restock on cards 
and I oh, have yeah. 90,000 cards printed that need to be hand sorted. Holy crap. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's making me tired just thinking about it. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I mean that's so that stuff's all shipped out now, and I think everybody's getting it. And you're, it's all going up for sale on the uh, on your web store. Yeah, store, the, right? July fourth. They come up on July fourth, um, and so that's going to be really cool. Get those things finally up for general release. Um, the for the Kickstarter right now, uh, it's still going to be probably a couple weeks before people that ordered it that live in the European Union will get them. Oh sure, but that's because of custom stuff to try and uh, get do the EU friendly shipping, which I know yeah. really helps people, but you know, it, it takes way longer. So yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Shipping is just a pain, but I, I think people understand that at this point, right? They know, they know what they're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the hard thing for me is like, I know there are EU backers that I really, they're excited and I'm excited to see what, what they, when they paint the models. So uh, like part of me just wants to send, but send it direct to them and yeah, <laughs> I'll cover the customs. I just want you to get the toys. Wait, that's not a good way to run a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would, uh, that would, that would add up pretty quickly. Yeah. No kidding. I would be making no money. So, so what, what all, so that I, I think, um, was that your second or third Kickstarter? Fourth wow. actually. Fourth really. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. yeah. The, um, first one was for like uh the core game like a two-player set mm-hmm. uh, the second one added the lone guard rangers and the bone and darkness on bad guys uh and then the third one was the wilderkin which are like the fanciful fey characters and the lizard folk the iguan yeah and then this most recent one was some wood elves and the dwarves um, but it, it was also the uh, your first uh, campaign book and sort of setting book too wasn't it yes yeah that was a major um undertaking and like really fun it's a, it's really great because i haven't really had a chance to uh, actually write down all the lore or not all the lore but you know a big chunk of the introduction sure. to the world until now and so finally people are going to get a better look at what the world of relic blade is like and what the factions are up to. And it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's not the black library section that goes super in depth, but it's, um, it's good. It's got a lot of really great story and, uh, like tons of scenarios and monsters and fun stuff. That's, that's very cool. Can you, uh, can you tell us like a little bit about like, so what is the world of relic blade like? Uh, it's a post-apocalyptic setting. Um, the idea is that there was some height of magical civilization that was destroyed. And the the belief, the common belief, is that it was an evil god that did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the practical reality is was like a, an apocalyptic war of some kind. Yeah. Uh, so now there's like there's continued to be instability and there's some hope that has emerged, um, which is like the path of the advocate where um, certain individuals are being able to um, put aside the malice and, and everything that was leading to the destruction of the world and try and actually rebuild. Um, and then with that, there's been like a resurgence of evil. So uh, between those two paths, there's these two adventure 
groups of uh, influenced adventurers that are are going into the ruins of the ancient world and trying to mm-hmm. claim some of the magic weapons that were lost there. That, Hence the, the, uh, the relic people. blades. Yeah, exactly. So that's sort of the broad overview. Um, and then with the campaign setting, like there's a narrative adventure that's essentially like the ascendancy of a particular dark wanderer mm-hmm. um, where he got commissioned by a dark elder. And so he goes into like be baptized in blood and all this grim stuff. All cool metal stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then there's another scenario that or a narrative campaign that's more like daily life of uh, Lone Guard where yeah. there's a pig warlord that has taken up residency in a fortress so they infiltrate it and murder him and at least that's the plan sure there's other forces involved you'll have to play it out and see what happens no it's that's that's a lot of fun you know it it strikes some of my favorite like kind of you know pulp fantasy stuff too like Uh i feel like there's a lot of you know robert howard in there yeah exactly i can imagine like a, a painting of of conan like sneaking into this temple to kill a serpent priest or something. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. That stuff's really appealing to me. You know, I, I just want to, want to say how much I like the pigs. Um, although my favorite piece of pig art you've done is a, um, it was a, a little diagram. Well, it was, it was like an example of play about the, the pig warlord or the pig warrior learning the pig out. Oh yeah. In the main rule book. <laughs> oh, I love it, man. Like <laughs> I, I, that, that, that fat pig, yeah. pig out master. Uh, it's like my favorite piece of art you've done. It's funny because uh, it it's a rules example, yeah. But it suddenly makes you peer into the world of Relic Blade in a way that the other art doesn't, because you yeah you see, you see who's <laughs> the way to pick out. No, it was, that, that was just a lot of fun. I'm like, I kind of I kind of want to have that pick out model. Yeah, that'd be great. No, it's all really it's really exciting. You know the um, the Voltland stuff. I, you know, I, I missed the Kickstarter, unfortunately, in the fall, so I'll be, I'll be ordering it from you on the 4th, but um, that kind of campaign and setting materials really really makes a game sing for me, and I'm so excited to see that out there and really, you know, have the chance to kind of dive deeper into the world through gameplay and just reading the book. Yeah, I've kind of hit a point in my gaming where a, a battle for the sake of battle, or even a battle for the sake of, uh, like, nominal scenario, just doesn't really uh, connect with me the way yeah the way me I too. Want. and so what i'd like to do is because relic blade in particular is such a uh an adventure type game where you really are of this little party of questers uh of fighting against the fate of the the world and um and so i th- i feel like i'm in a position to write these modules and adventures that will play more like when you pick up a video game and there's context and instead of it being like logging on to Battle.net and just doing a pickup game, it would be more like playing the adventure mode or campaign mode where there's a story and there's adventures and there's a setting and a reason. And even if it's really still setting up three games in a row with a friend and you're both bringing your own war bands it still matters because you're fighting a certain sorcerer or there's certain stakes and a story that unfolds so i don't know i think that would really that's that's what's in the volglands book and it's what i hope to continue 
creating is like uh, an adventure game where you're really playing the adventures and and i think that's exciting yeah it's like i keep saying it's it's so appealing to me too because you know i I, i'm the same way i'm I'm not interested in playing a game kind of just for the sake of playing a game i want there to be at least a little bit of you know story to it and um even just playing a pickup game with you know a random scenario and some random environmental effects um it, immediately there are there are there's a sense of like narrative stakes in it which i think is really really cool yeah and, it grows uh, it, a context like naturally grows a context where you're like because you're playing with rangers against lizard men suddenly it, and then you have a an environment that you're playing in and then these events are also happening so it sort of naturally builds where it's, it becomes obvious why you're fighting yeah absolutely um and i think you know one of the great things i i think you've really succeeded with is all of the uh, the factions, they're all they all have a unique twist on them, but they're also immediately identifiable as, as some kind of vague fantasy trope at yeah. least. You know, you, um, so it, it's very easy to, to get into the game and understand like, okay, my you know I, I'm playing these dwarves who are venturing out from the ruins of their underground city for the first time in you know millennia or whatever. Um, you know they've they've got they've got some shifty motives maybe, but they're they're still instantly identifiable as you know dwarves from underground and you know they, they're they've got their own unique twist on it but i think it's it's a very accessible way to uh to approach the game yeah precisely I, it's funny um because sometimes if i don't know a setting or like you know my terrain is all fantasy right there are like mm-hmm. certain practical things that make it just easier to get into a game that is essentially a D setting yeah but with rules that are easier and more tactical than even just D D, because like you don't have to write as big of a character sheet <laughs> so yeah, like, you don't have sure. to write it it's just on a card or um of the Vulgeland stuff was there anything that you had a particular amount of fun creating um i think one it, the lore was really fun because i knew i was probably one of the only people that knew all that stuff but as I was writing it, I was able to take the strands and be like, oh, now I see. Because I'm taking the time to write it all out, I yeah. was starting to see where the things connected, like where the strands of the storyline actually like inter- interlock and create a more believable universe. And, and another fun thing about the Volglands is like I really focused on like one city and the surrounding area. So it's it's super focused. So it's there that you won't see a world map for Relic Blade because that the what the dark age that they're in there just wouldn't be a world map. You know right. I mean? like maybe a, maybe the Moldorf Bibliothecary has some like ancient world maps that sure. he has in his in, in his library, but uh, most of those empires would be gone. So it would be yeah. arbitrary. Maybe the land itself has probably been changed oh, yeah, too, for right? Sure. Yeah, in in one of the maps, you can see that up in the like northeast, that it's just totally shattered. There's remnants of, or or like canyons that probably weren't there originally. Yeah, that that apocalypse is sort of in the in the distant past too, right? Like yep. it's, it's not in living memory. Yeah, exactly. Even for elves and uh, the like immortal races, it's still not something that everyone knows about or knows why or how it happened mm-hmm. and so from what i understand, you know when you're when you're playing in a campaign in particular and you're sort of assembling your war band 
you as the player are kind of like a force of good or evil or the advocate or the the adversary yeah exactly you play as a seeker um and you're like a spiritual being that is aligned with good or evil and so you can end up fighting against other players that have the same alignment as you that's totally fine um because their their goals are are their own and they may be I mean, they'd be in your way, you know, you don't necessarily want another quote unquote good guy stealing a relic blade because you can't really trust them to you properly. So that's part of it. But you also have uh, powers that you can do to get re-rolls or or protect your characters. Um, And then it's also that influence points that you earn through campaign is how you influence the fate of characters. And so the like theme of it is if there's Aragorn running around in the woods being a badass ranger, there's this spiritual being that's like, ooh, I definitely want that guy in yeah. the warband. And like, I'm going to just make this happen that slows down his trip. So he has to spend the night at the Prancing Pony. And then I'm going to have, you know, the idea is that you're influencing fate to try and make sure that they end up on your path. So that's how characters end up together is by your like machinations and like meddling in their own fate. No, that's that's really awesome. You know, I I, I've really enjoyed the games I've played, but I, I think I suspect campaign plays going to be where it really shines. I'm very excited to play that. Yeah, you know, it's fun because week. the upgrades don't count against your point total, mm-hmm. and so in that way, like character advancement, there's no like penalty to having really badass characters. Sure, so that's a lot of fun. No, that's going to be good. I, I know um, another Rush Builders Union member um, and uh, games creator in his own right, Ed Burrell. He's going to, he's got a guy who's, who's running our campaign. I know he has a huge collection of painted dungeon tiles and, um, you know, from um, painted minis and stuff. He, like, really, like, he, he runs some D&D games that are, you know, very minis intensive and, you know, yeah. he, it's all fully painted. I know he's going to be whipping out a lot of that stuff to kind of run the campaign for everybody. And I think it's going to be really immersive and cool. Yeah, that sounds great. I think I saw a foot of his, like, um, dwarven forge tiles yeah he has an impressive collection <laughs> yeah that's great so you know i don't know if it's premature but can you talk a little bit about maybe what, what's in the future for relic blade or is that all top secret at this point yeah so the impending thing for me is like trying to make sure i have everything available and in stock for everyone <laughs> so part of that understandable is i'm gonna need to in the foreseeable future uh reprint the main core rule book and uh so i'd like to redo it in color and hardcover like the newest book and so i'm going to end up needing to go back and like you know redo the 40 illustrations that are in that book and so i think it's going to be a season of upkeep but then probably involve a kickstarter uh based around the seeker's handbook uh like not really a new edition, but kind of a new edition, but not a new kind edition. of a, a 1.5. Yeah, really like a second printing, but deluxe. Is that that's a thing, right? Special edition. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's what it'd be called special edition, even though it's not a special edition and just be the main edition at that point. Maybe with some lighter rata. Yeah, but then, um, but then coming up with some like really fun stuff. I've got so many things I'd like to do that mentioning them is is just sort of arbitrary because whether I end up making frost giants or goblins or Arab princes or, you know, whatever it ends up being it, 
it's too early because I haven't really started sculpting them, and I'm and I work on a whim. So, so my my takeaway is you heard it here first: frost giants, goblins, and Arab princesses. Yeah, yeah. all of that. And more. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It's too early to say what, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, a nice new edition of the core rulebook would be good, but it wouldn't invalidate the old one. It'd just be colored and pretty. And, yeah, sure. Um, so then just fun, practical gaming stuff to really make sure people are having as, as much fun as possible. Now, I'd like great. to uh, also spend some time because now with, now there are eight factions, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and like I mentioned before, there are two alignments, but mm-hmm. um, factions just are like within the story. But if you're playing with friends in a game group, you playing like within one of those sub factions really makes sense uh, for a game group, you know, so that not everyone's playing the same armies. But um, so now it's become way more game group friendly with all the loads of releases that I have. And so I'd really like to spend some time um, creating organized play kits and and things like that. So outside of Kickstarter, I hope to start releasing some neat uh, content for people to, uh, take to their club and and actually get in more games. No, that sounds really cool. You know, one of the things I <clears throat> I like is the, um, the sort of supporting and objective models you've done. Like you've done some some braziers, uh, braziers for um, you know some one of your objectives with the, the flaming. Um, what's the scenario I'm thinking of? Yeah, I I use them a lot in a lot of scenarios now. Um, yeah, they're they're a really cool objective because the flame is removable. Yeah, that and was so clever. you can show the game state, and so for a tactical gameplay, like it's very, it's represented real on the board. Like this objective has already been activated, so the fire is on, or this fire is on, and the objective of the game is to sh- shut off the fire. So uh-huh. you know, like the game state is really well represented, and they're nice resin kits. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Malev of Malev. Malev's minis. He he does a lot of my or he does all my studio paint jobs. Um, oh yeah, but he wrote a scenario that had brazers in it, and I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that? Like, and the fires, and so uh, we ended up producing that, and so that's been a really good one. Um, we've got the yak. That's another fun uh, scenario. That was that was the first model I bought from you. Yeah, actually. Right, yeah, because it's it's funny and fun. And I actually I just painted that up uh, two nights ago. Oh, sweet! That's great. Yeah, I should post a picture. That that the model is a lot of fun. Like I, I'm a real sucker for like um, environmental kind of tokens and stuff if they're representative of, represented by an actual model. Um, stuff like that is just really cool, and it's it's I think it, it really works for Relic Blade too. It's great to see you see you supporting it like that. Yeah, yeah, I I try to, and like the yak is a funny example. I am. Um... I was supposed to be doing something else that day in order to uh-huh. a deadline for, you know, there, there are tons of deadlines. I need to have the cards oh, ready sure. to print so that they have a chance to get edited and play tested before I have to print them. And if I don't get the files ready by from two weeks from now, then everything's going to fall apart. And like, so, but right. it was one of those situations where I was like, Sean, if you don't finish three illustrations today, we're screwed. And I was like, but what if I sculpted a yak? What if I did a yak? Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I was like, I bet I could do it. 
and like I totally just like shrugged off all of my work and sculpted a yak instead. And it was cool enough that I was like, well, I could produce it. And yeah, it worked. Cause I had, I'd written a scenario where you escort a yak and I was like, whatever people can, it's easy to find a pack animal. doesn't matter that I said yak, but then I ended up sculpting it anyways. No, the, the model's great. It's just got so much flavor. You know, it's got the potion bottles on them and the bed rolls and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it, it's, it, it adds such a great element of immersion to the game. Yeah, I think so too. Is, is there anything else like that that you think you might want to do in the future? Oh yeah. I'm very open to, to it. Just all I need is a scenario that, yeah, just like the design space that's missing. Like with the brazers, those filled up so much design space that they almost aren't like, I just highly recommend that everyone that plays Relic Blade have those. Um, but yeah, I'll be picking some up myself, but like, um, yeah, I'd really like to do more when I was down at kingdom con Pagani and I were joking about stuff and, uh, the pack yak came up and then, someone mentioned an alpaca and like uh-huh. a pack alpaca is so funny yeah <laughs> like you got to say it out loud and then, yeah it, so that's another thing i'd really like to sculpt a pack alpaca it can be my like con exclusive yeah you you, you got my money on that for sure <laughs> big fluffy long-necked weirdo all yeah. the way around <laughs> I have a good alpaca story that I actually can't tell because of NDA right now. So <laughs> okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm dying because of it now that you've brought it up. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, it's actually, it's funny you mentioned Pagani because I think he's, he was instrumental in, in bringing Relic Blade to a lot of people in the Seattle area this spring. Cause like he, he came back from Kingdom Con and suddenly everybody's playing. Yeah. It. That was awesome. That was really... He's another brush welders guy too. So it was, it was cool. I'm looking forward to getting some games in with him this, this summer. Yeah, for sure. I got to get up to Seattle and, play some relic blade with you guys oh yeah we'll take good care of you uh so do you have a, a convention schedule for the rest of the year where, where you can go meet sean and play some relic blade? i i'm open to finding a, a con that happens in like fall but also yeah. like traditionally i run my kickstarters in fall and so True. things get so busy that i try to split up my year where i'll do like um, I def I booked for Adepticon and I do KublaCon, which is in San Francisco. But then um, I did LVO, and I might do LVO again. But it's very Warhammer focused, so it's a little hard yeah. to get people to think about anything other than Space Marines. It's true. Um, but like my friends that have Zombie Smith miniatures, we were talking about sort of working together to to like attend shows. And so we might, we might do stuff together because when, when you're just like one person trying to go somewhere and set up a booth and work the like 11 hours a day, it can be a a pretty heavy duty workload. Oh, I know. But with some other people that can watch your booth while you get lunch, that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm lucky. I'm going to be doing Gen Con, but I'm, I'm kind of going to be there for Brushholders Union, but in support of the Witchborn, if you're familiar with that game. Cool. And they're, they're very kindly letting me uh, have some other booth space to paint some miniatures and talk about Brushwater's Union as well as, you know, helping them out with uh, with running their stuff. Yeah, Corey's a good dude. That's great. Yeah, I think um, finding the right networks. But also the the thing is, I, I'm, I'm, I've been surprised and pl- pleasantly so that the miniatures industry is pretty small. 
in, yeah. but in like a fun way where like you get to know a bunch of people and a lot of us are doing it because we love it. And it, so it's not as cutthroat as certain other industries. It, it's funny. I think to a certain degree, the audience thinks that it's otherwise. Like I remember working at Privateer uh, Press for years and, you know, people would like come to us in bad mouth games, workshop yeah. games and stuff like that. And I, you know, I couldn't say, but I'd be like, man, I don't know. We all, we all go home and play some 40 K sometimes. Yeah. So, and like, and I, I know some of those games workshop dudes are playing war machine too. So I think, um, you know, the, the, the actual industry, everybody for the most part is really cool. And, you know, wants to just make cool stuff and help their friends. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, it's been very fun. And like, I got to do some collaboration work with, um, Joe McCullough who writes Frostgrave. That was a lot of yeah. fun. Um, there, there were certain because uh, I worked on a book called The Wizard's Conclave, and uh, mm-hmm. and so I got I just like wrote a scenario for it, um, but then the list of other contributors, it like it blew my mind. Like uh, Alessio Cavatore, who wrote, wrote Warhammer Fantasy among like a ton of other great games, also was a con- con- contributor, and it cracked yeah. me up because like the first Warhammer book, the first miniatures wargaming book I ever got. And like, you know, spent most of my high school uh, uh, years just like pouring over. He, he wrote and like was one of the reasons I got into the game industry in the first place. And so it was pretty neat to be able to work on something with a bunch of these guys that were instrumental in like getting me into it in the first place. No, that's really cool. I mean, you 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 and you were t- you kind of took part in like a big sort of like crossover content thing, didn't you? Um, there was that you did something with Frostgrave, and wasn't um, was it Rangers of Shadowdeep as well? Yeah, yeah, because uh, Joe writes Rangers also, and uh, there was a certain monster, uh, the giant fly, that like yeah. was like this. I guess it's hard to find fly miniatures, and so that's part of it. But in the Rangers community, like the giant fly became like a really common exciting thing that a lot of people were into that monster so i I wrote rules for the giant fly for relic blade and uh, ash barker wrote rules for his zombie game last days some giant flies in there mm-hmm. yeah it was a fun like i don't know it's just it's just cool to be able to work with other people like i also do guest artists sometimes and i'll try and find artists that do like weird art that a big company yeah. wouldn't really wouldn't really be able to hire them to do their style. That's where your shark. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, if, if, uh, yeah, style is, has always been a big thing for me. Like I really like Mm -hmm. comic books and artists that have like really distinctive styles, but if you're trying to create a unified product, you aren't looking to have like bizarre styles, sort of like fracturing the, right uh, a universe into different things so um it just like sort of breaks immersion but um i on the other hand get to work with weirdos that make all kinds of weird art and so like uh, i did a character with keegan mcgee and we made this like weird shark and eel um i got to work with scott wigman's who does like comics for guar and like all this like oh, heavy nice. metal art. And so we made a dwarf berserker that was like really grim. And Oh, with the wolf yeah, heads, exactly. right? So that was yeah, that guy's awesome. Then most recently I worked with a guy named Mark Laszlo. And if I'm not mistaken, 
he's from Budapest. Is that right? Anyways, Eastern Europe. And he does like really fun stylized comic book art. And um, so I got him to do the art for a fire wizard. And we ended up with this fun wizard that is both obviously a wizard, but also just not your average wizard miniature. And so it's a, it's a fun That way. model is so cool. Fun way to like take yeah. artists that their art wouldn't normally become a miniature and change it. No, it's great. I, I, I think it's really cool. You have this opportunity to collaborate with, you know, whoever you want on whatever you want. That's, that's your making some really fun stuff because of it. Yeah. And it's like, it's my own creative freedom that I get to enjoy that I want to be able to share with people that really deserve it. I think that attitude is just kind of, Bled through on everything you've done and you know it really infected your community with a, a great spirit of, of positivity and enthusiasm yeah i hope so i think that's i think that's true i think people have been so good as a community like uh, i haven't run into toxic weirdness that's so common on the internet um, yeah. and uh, i mean i'm i'm sure i'll encounter it i've encountered some weird stuff but like for the most part it's just people that really recognize it for what it is and have a lot of fun, enjoy the game and they're kind to each other. And it's very fun. No, that's, that's, that's the best. Your community is really excellent. I think it, it reflects everything about what's great about relic blade and your game uh, and your work in general. Well, thanks. That's an awfully nice thing to say. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very impressed with everything you've done and it's, it's my pleasure to say it, cool. but uh, I will uh, kind of let you go at this point, but is there anything else you'd like to say or promote or plug? Feel free to be shameless. Yeah, I, I mean, the big thing is uh, the web store for Relic Blade is on relicblade.com. I do direct sales primarily, uh, and so that's the best way to get the game. And the new releases hit on the 4th of July, so you'll be able to get tons of awesome sculpts and characters and um so that's the big thing. If you're interested in Relic Blade, check out the Facebook group. It's Relic Blade Adventure Battle Friends or Official Battle Friends or something like that. You'll yeah. find it by searching Relic Blade for sure. All right. Well, Sean, thanks so much for joining us. And it's really been a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm, I'm excited to uh, get my Volgwans book when it goes up for sale next week. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Simon. It was awesome. Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com. Thank you.